Hello and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, coming to you from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard, Washington. I'm Matt Haver. And I'm Greg Heilman. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from LA to the UK. Today is Friday, October 8th. Welcome to episode 47 and the second half of our interview with veteran entertainment and business and entertainment business reporter Diane Haithman. Diane has decades of experience covering all aspects of the Hollywood scene, and this week we'll uh, get her take on the state of traditional media in 2021, and she'll weigh in on the streaming wars, ScarJo, and the future of brick-and-mortar theaters. And looking at the future of theater here in beautiful Port Orchard, A.R. Gurney's Love Letters opens Western Washington Center for the Arts. Love Letters runs through October 31st, and it's a tender, tragic comic and nuanced examination of the lost art of letter writing, shared nostalgia, missed opportunities, and the deep closeness of two lifelong complicated friends. Spanning five decades in numerous locations, Love Letters is staged simply with two actors behind desks or sitting in cozy chairs letting their words describe a world of emotion. Six actors, three male and three female, were cast for this show, and one of them might possibly happen to be yours truly. So if by now you haven't grown tired of the sound of my voice, come down to WWCA on October 17th, 23rd, or 29th. If you'd like to see real actors take the stage, go the other nights. Actually, go see Matt on October 17th or 29th because you don't want to miss the next installment of Movies of the Decade at the Historic Roxy Theater. For the 2000s, it's Moulin Rouge. Baz Luhrmann's story of a poor bohemian poet in the 1890s Paris won two Oscars and stars Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman. We'll hit the stage at 6.30, followed by our friend Jeremy Arnold for his final introduction of the series. So don't miss it and get your tickets at roxybremerton.org. And now we're pleased to bring you part two of our interview with Diane Haithman. Diane recently left a job as staff reporter at the Los Angeles Business Journal to take on a new challenge as senior entertainment business reporter at online news website The Wrap. She was a longtime contributor to entertainment industry website Deadline Hollywood and an arts and entertainment staff writer for the Los Angeles Times before embarking on an independent writing and teaching career. And if that wasn't enough, she was also the recipient of two Los Angeles Press Club Awards, and Diane first joined the Los Angeles Times covering the television industry before moving to the arts and culture beat for most of her career. Prior to joining the Times, Diane was West Coast Bureau Chief of the LA-based Detroit Free Press. She has been a critic fellow at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center's New Playwrights Conference, and has also written for The Hollywood Reporter, Angelino and Coast Magazines, and many other publications. Diane is a graduate of the University of Michigan Honors College with a joint degree in English and Psychology and is currently an adjunct professor of entertainment journalism at Emerson College LA in Hollywood. She's also an author. Her novel Dark Lady of Hollywood, a merry mashup of the TV industry and the world of Shakespeare, was published to critical acclaim in 2014 by Harvard Square Editions and is currently available in both paperback and Kindle. Diane joined us from her home in Los Angeles. Coming out of COVID, there's obviously we know about struggle studios have had and things like that. What is the state of, of the business at this point in, in Hollywood, from your perspective, coming out of this kind of down year? Kind of depends on whether you're Amazon or whether you're, you know, an independent filmmaker. You know, some people have profited hugely from the pandemic. You know, certainly the, the streaming world has um, more and more subscribers, you know, launching of, you know, who knows if Disney Plus would have done as well if it hadn't had a pandemic to fuel it. If you're a movie exhibitor, not so good. There has been a lot of, you know, we, we had um, been sort of going back and forth a little bit about consolidation, which I guess is the word of the year for what's going on in Hollywood. 
there's been a lot of loss of just jobs, you know, plain old ordinary jobs. Um, you know, you don't need two, two personal assistants. You know, if something's merged, you know, a lot of that has gone away. There's been a lot of what I see is more, um, it's more window dressing to, than anything else to say, well, we have a streaming executive versus we had a movie executive. It's all kind of the same thing, you know. And technically, I'm, you know, I'm the, the business writer, but I'm more on the movie side, but I just find it all much together. I mean, how can I say whether I'm writing about movies or TV? You know, they're the same thing. It's interesting you bring that up because streaming is such a, I don't know, it's just kind of such an unknown for so many of us on the, you know, the, the receiving end as far as how it works. How do these companies, how do they recognize revenue? Uh, from a film when it is solely or, or a show when it's solely released on a streaming platform uh, it goes out to theaters you can count the tickets sold yeah. do you have any insight on how because again it's it's shrouded in a bit of mystery and I think they like it that way at least for now <laughs> but do you have any insight on how they they do recognize revenue from say an individual film they actually don't recognize re revenue from an individual film if you're talking about a Netflix or yeah also whatever they are looking for subscribers right so if um, they can, they have the metrics, they know how many people watched, you know, whatever. And if, if they choose to, they can tell you how many people watched Bridgerton. They know, you know, mm -hmm. they choose not to share that. If it's a really big number, sometimes they'll share it because it, it's good press. Right. But what they want is somebody who subscribes, right? And they don't really care what you actually watch, but they want to sell to you is that feeling that um, you, I was just talking to somebody about this today, just that sort of FOMO feeling. If, if I don't have Netflix, I'm going to miss out on all this stuff. So what they want to do is have stories out there that say, oh, we got this quirky little dark horror film and we've got this and we've got that and we've got all this stuff. And what they want from me is for me to sign up. Um, and continue to sign up because they, I feel like every year there's going to be new stuff. But in terms of, you know, if some little thing that I never watch makes me feel that way, I see an app or something that's on Netflix that says, ooh, quirky, interesting, different, I'm a hip kind of person. I want yeah. to attach to this. Um, Part of a special club. <laughs> even scarier thing, though, is if you look at the fact of tech companies um, buying entertainment companies, you know, if you look at you know, Amazon making a pact with this or that is Amazon not only wants to sell you that entertainment thing, they want to sell you shoes, books and all this stuff. I mean, when you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, it's a whole lifestyle. You could just get nothing but Amazon stuff for the rest of your life. So what are they looking for? You know, Disney, when Michael Eisner was running Disney, had this concept of synergy, which I mean, it goes back to, you know, even Walt Disney mm -hmm. selling the parks from the movies and and yeah. how many lines of business can we profit from one yeah. particular piece of intellectual property yeah. um and amazon the interesting thing with amazon is that matt and i've been talking about uh the the old u.s versus paramount decision where studios couldn't own the distribution chain well now they can there's no yeah. with the overturning of that there's no limitations that brought us you know up to that kind of consolidation discussion that that yeah. You know, you brought up a little while ago. When you look at the time of that decision, it, you know, it was right in the middle of the pandemic, right? Wasn't it in 2020? So mm -hmm. I think everybody's, I don't know how much people's 
eyes were on, gee, you know, can we sell, you know, can we get a monopoly of the movie theaters when they're closed? Is what was the fear that might happen, what might happen at movie theaters is actually what was happening on streaming is there's this exhibition platform that, you know, we have the whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, but you're right, it, it's definitely, it's interesting how much bigger a question that would have been or much how much more we would have seen written about it, I think, had it happened a, a year earlier. Yeah, and not only that, then you have the Scarlett Johansson lawsuit, things like that <laughs> that are tied into the what, what Matt brought up about recognizing revenue with streaming because so many contracts are built on film revenue, but if you've got a hybrid or a single release of streaming, if yeah. they're not, studios aren't being forthcoming, I think, do you, do you see the, those sorts of contracts changing in, in, in the future for um, actors and, and other um, you know, performers based on this, this, I guess, new model? Yeah, because what we were looking at in terms of the films that are being released now are under all of the new windowing changes that have happened. Um, those contracts are all from when did they start making this movie, 2018 or whenever it was, is going forward. Yes, it'll have to change. I think some people just kind of got stuck right on that hump in between of saying, hey, we need to make this change. You know, Disney needs to launch this film on Disney Plus or whatever. Meanwhile, the contract had nothing to do with that as a possibility. So yeah, you've got Scarlett Johansson who's mad. You've got, um, Disney probably didn't handle that terribly well, but we've also got a lot of films though that are less star driven than they used to be you know mm -hmm. they are but is it you know spider woman or is it scarlett johansson that we want to see maybe it's a combo of both but i tend to think if they cast a different person it probably would have been you know uh the same thing in that that right now there's a sense that either that we want to see marvel or we have no choice we have to see marvel because that's what all the movies are it's kind of the, the boat i fall into it's like if i want to go to a movie it's not like I am, you know, saying that I want to see this more than anything. It's Disney told me I want to see this more than anything because that's what they bought and that's what they got to do and that's what going to the movies means. But yes, it'll have to change. It'll have to be the, the whole business of this back end box office profit. It'll it'll be more they'll have to pay up front. That's that's one thing Greg and I discussed. I think probably in our first show was feeling torn between wanting the arts to thrive and wanting to see small theaters and even chains of theaters maintain uh, their position in the entertainment economy. And yet we do really like being able to watch everything from the couch, you know? So there's, there's kind of that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, and I think, like you said, the timing of the, the, the Paramount decision was, I don't know if it was planned that way necessarily, but they did, yes. they did come through in the, in the fall of, of the, you know, the first fall that COVID hit and, I think everybody was just kind of ready to say, okay, fine. I just want to just dump it on me. Just, yeah. just bring it, bring it to my living room as quick as possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny. Cause I think that would have been, again, something that we would have had a whole lot more discussions about. Yeah. Had that we not been discussing something else, but you know, what I find about having it all just delivered to my house is um, I'm more willing to just sample something because I don't have to keep watching it. Right. It doesn't cost me any more to try this out than, you know, there's a little bit of still that person who feels like if I started a movie, I gotta watch it till the end, but yeah. <laughs> and I don't even do that with books anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that 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 just sampling something's a little bit easier. Or something that, you know, is outside of of um your comfort zone in terms of where you might go. You know, some 
crazy dark film that maybe you maybe you don't like going to art houses. Maybe you only like going to your mall theater. But here you can see that without necessarily making that journey to some place that maybe feels unfamiliar or uncomfortable or doesn't have as many flavors of popcorn or whatever. Um, so, Is there anything in your estimation, um, based on what you've seen over the last now 18, 19 months, that theaters and chains could do or you think they will do, um, pull out the crystal ball for a minute, to stay relevant because again that you know something we've all missed is the socialization going to a movie with a friend and we'd hate to lose that is there anything a golden lining for any of these chains uh these small mom and pop theaters that they can to differentiate well for a while um because they were shut down but at least in california for a little while it was outdoor dining is okay so some of the theaters were thinking why don't we show this outdoors and serve food and then we can get away with it as it turned out, that didn't really work out for them. They were up in arms about why can't we do this? But I think if you can make it into an experience of some kind where there's something else going on besides just, you know, that happened a little bit way back when, when they started putting movie theaters in shopping malls is I'm going to go to movie and I'm going to go shopping and I'm going to get some food and, you know, and it's all right here and it's not that expensive, you know, is to have something that goes with it. You know, in LA, it's always been, and this is just about qualifying for awards, a panel afterward, mm-hmm. where some people are sitting and discussing this. How do you get a chance to, we're so used to from the way TV is now voting on everything, do you get to vote somewhere on this? Do you get to see yourself on, maybe we'll put the people's faces up there just like they do the Jumbotron at the sports. I mean, it has to become a bigger experience. Yeah. Yeah, Matt and I have actually, we've been working with the Roxy, uh, Historic Roxy Theater here in Bremerton, Washington, celebrating his 80th uh, birthday this year. So they're doing a Movies of the Decade series for each decade they've been around. And and we were brainstorming of, you know, how to bake these special to get people to come out. And what we've done is we've engaged Jeremy Arnold, who's a PCM author, and and we've had him on the show a few times. He's done an introduction, 10-minute introduction to each of the movies, Mm -hmm. uh, which which has been, to your point, like having a panel, something in addition to just the movie yeah. um, to come and see. Yeah, yeah. And you see it with gourmet food being in theaters. Um, you see it with fancy chairs lean back and it just feels different from, you know, um, the way it used to. I mean, you know, that that's one way they've, they've, they've done, you know, it's not just popcorn anymore. Um, some have created theaters where there are no children. You know, this mm-hmm. thing is, is adults only or like you said, immersive, like, you know, 3D. Um, we, we had a guest a while ago, JJ Russella, who's involved in uh, virtual reality. And that's his thing is that virtual reality is not only going to be in all the movie theaters, but eventually it's going to be in all the traditional stage theaters, uh, you know, captioning, things like that, where it not only immerses you more, but it also widens, you know, vastly the audience uh, that could take in these shows. Yeah. And, you know, I spent a good chunk of my career at the LA Times writing about the arts and about theater and that sort of thing. And and when I first uh, signed on with The Wrap, was looking at the fact that, you know, I drove by my local, you know, live theater and they had a sign up saying, you know, come in here and use this as a shooting location. Got to do something with oh, this space. Cool. Yeah. And they talked about when we do bring our shows back, why shouldn't we also still have that digital experience um, and live stream it? For your grandparents in Connecticut. Right. They can't get a plane to come see it. Why can't we have both? Would I object to it? No, not at all. You know, I don't care. Or 
that you aren't going to lose your ticket if you get sick, you know, because right. it's live stream at, at home is, is why not live stream, you know, why not have that as an option? You know, maybe, maybe it's half price. I don't know, but, um, yeah, that's something that we've actually done at, at one of our local theaters, uh, Western Washington Center for the Arts. Uh, that was the way that they kind of came back out was doing a, a virtual, a, a live actually worked out because um, things opened back up, but mm-hmm. uh, doing a series of one acts and making those available afterwards. So, yeah, so up, up someone across the country could see it or someone who wasn't comfortable coming out quite yet or couldn't get a vaccine, things like that. It just, again, broadens the audience. Yeah, grandparents often, you know, they would be in that group that would say, well, yeah, maybe I should be afraid of, of COVID. Now, one of the and this I ended up doing a story for the for the Business Journal just on how were they figuring this out? Is how were magicians figuring out how to do their acts virtually? Uh, and they did. I don't know how, but they said, and it was even more magical in a way because it was, you know, they're making things happen, and I'm just I'm I'm really not there. You know, they can't really trick me. They're using they're telling me to take a deck of cards in my house and somehow this is working. <laughs> right. But um, I saw Penn and Teller do something like that early on. Uh, and they would do a trick and then they would pat look like they're passing it out of the screen and the next person across the country, one of their friends or colleagues from, you know, Vegas to New York and all over the world, and they'd hand the it was really neat, really yeah. creative. And that's that's what we've loved to see, you know, uh, as we've kind of watched this unfold. This show is a COVID creation, and as the show has progressed, we've seen more and more uh, examples of that kind of creativity. You know, the show the show must go on. Yeah. I mean, here things are just starting to, I'm very excited to be going to the um, the opening of um, the LA Philharmonic is back back to live shows. And oh, wonderful. And a dinner outside and stuff. But, you know, again, it's, it's just being willing, first of all, to flow outdoors a little bit more, I think. You know, even if you do have an indoor venue, people feel safer if the doors are wide open, you know, to that lobby or whatever, that that maybe to, to use the outdoor spaces and indoor spaces together might help people out a little bit, you know, in terms of um, comfort zone. I don't know. I think, I think people want to go out. I think people want to do things. I think there was there have been some people who never did want to go out. What's kind of nice for them is that now they're seeing movies as opposed to just sports and, you know, NCIS. Right. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that could be a cool thing that could create a, a different audience. I think there's always going to be the group. One thing that you mentioned that was I, I thought was kind of uh, ironic was when we were talking about Amazon earlier, that you can buy everything at Amazon. And you mentioned when movie theaters go into the strip and the, the shopping malls, and then you could do all your shopping right there. Kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I haven't even put it together in my head, but the bottom line was movie theaters went to where something else was happening. You know, I know theater, you know, listen, live theater has tried it in Los Angeles. There's a wonderful little theater company that had their theater in a shopping mall. Um, but it was usually after hours, you know, you'd drive and you could use their parking and it was a neat little space and it was underneath the shopping mall, but you couldn't sort of go upstairs then and shop. But um, there are definitely movie theaters that have lovely restaurants inside them in Hollywood and offer something else besides just going to the big screen. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's going on. But I think people are very much just about the fear that this siloing, this conglomeration, this consolidation is, you know, even now, even the places that were, that were thought of for a while as being these creative, wonderful hubs. Somebody said to me the other day, well, look how many of the streamers have network TV people now running them. 
Mm-hmm. So we can say, you know, that's true. Where were they going to come from? I mean, it kind of there's a logic to it, but on the other hand, the bigger anything gets, the less um, niche it gets, and then something else has to pop up to take over that niche, right? It all kind of settles to the to the middle. Yeah. But it's 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 just when you look at how fast it happens and how somebody's got forty three billion dollars to drop on one of these these merger deals that it's scarier than when it's just you know yeah something uh, starts out one way and then becomes more status quo you know something else will come after tiktok you know all those things mm-hmm. well i hope so i can't get i can't figure that one out yet <laughs> I, I don't know how to do it i guess i could just put it on my phone right now and then i'd have it but um and i i guess i don't understand how people really are making money from it and it annoys me that they are making money from it <laughs> what it needs to be anyway so like a very a very wise person recently told us that uh, we're no longer the demographic no. so that, <laughs> and so <laughs> it, it lessens the the burden of feeling i got to keep up keep up with all this stuff yeah. we're active on facebook we try to tweet occasionally and of course instagram uh for all of greg's marvelous cocktail creations for our in the mix episodes but uh you know that's that's three that's all i can juggle anyway yeah. That's one thing that happened during the during awards season when it was completely COVIDed the last time around. Um, they kept sending us cocktail recipes. You know, and I think it's because they'd already made deals with alcohol vendors that they were gonna have at the event and they had to do something. So they'd send you your, you know, your Emmy cocktail that you were supposed to make while you watch it at home. And somehow they tried to, you know, get you interested in creating a live feeling experience in your house. Yeah, um, at Pale, in comparison to, uh, you think, a lot of the Oscar parties and things uh, we've all been to over the years. But, you know, one one thing that Greg and I keep coming back to is we like the fact that this technology exists because here we are, uh, you know, speaking to you 1,500 miles away, you know, with, with very little lag. So, <laughs> And what happened with, I'm sure you sort of observed this with film festivals, that all of a yep. sudden an artist, um, you know, who's in Dubai can hop on and talk to the audience. And they couldn't have afforded, you know, with the money they'd scraped together to make the film to get there, but now they could have that conversation, so. We had that exact experience. We just uh, helped cover the Seattle Film Summit and we had Jin Woo Park from South Korea join us for a Q&A after a screening of a movie. Yeah, so, so that's opened some things up. I think it's just, you know, as I say, there's a certain Zoom fatigue. They, literally, if you teach at a college, it's. The classes are shorter now because they just know they're you hit a wall at a certain point. Yeah, can't do this for for too long. But uh, it's, it's it's an interesting world. I mean, there's a lot going on right now, and you know, I think the problem is we keep getting just as we have in society right now, the people with billions and the people with zero versus there being this nice middle, mm-hmm. you know, middle budget films, middle budget people. And with these consolidations you, you're talking about, it's just going to get. Bigger and bigger. Yeah, kind of out of it, though. I mean, as we were talking about the one where we we're even seeing the, the talent agencies conglomerate, as we saw this this week, there's only one big one left. What are they going to do? You know, will the boutiques get boutiquier? I mean, we, you know, <laughs> what's, what's going to happen? So, something that we, ch- we, again, Greg mentioned the Seattle Film Summit, and the goal of that was to shine a light on the Seattle area, the Puget Sound region, uh, really Washington State, the Northwest, as uh, a wonderful place to make a film and attract people here. And we think of places like Atlanta, um, our sister city to the south, Portland, 
um, and, and Chicago even. We spoke with a couple of uh, actresses from Chicago, and they said that we're making Sh- Chicago mad in Chicago. Yeah. And, you know, are, are you are you feeling that? Are you seeing, um, you know, the the focal point cease to be L.A. as much, um, you know, with this new demand for digital content and, and, and the ability to really make a fine product anywhere in the world? You know, I think the runaway production thing predated COVID by a ton. I don't think it was and I don't even know. I don't even think it's streaming. I think it's just for a long time it's been. Um, you know, other cities have been aggressively trying to get people to um, come and shoot there. Yeah. It's cheaper to shoot in Canada, cheaper to shoot, or you can get a certain look if you shoot in Iceland. I mean, all of those yeah. things. I would say during COVID, there were a couple places where you could shoot. I think Iceland is one of them. For a while, there weren't any um, protocols. Um, it was just so remote that they figured everything was going to be okay. So I think right now, what you're seeing is people who it's gotten political. You know, we're not going to shoot in Georgia because, um, mm-hmm. you know, some of it has to do with the, the vaccine and the anti-vaccine and the red states and the blue states. But, you know, that that you're no longer allowed to pick a place because of the way it looks. It's, you know, do you approve of this state? Do you approve of their politics? Yeah. You've seen it with Texas recently as well. Yeah. yeah. Or, or face the backlash. Well, Diane, um, I, we appreciate your time. Uh, it's been an education. I'm not just rambling on about you know everything in the world here. Well, we could we could we could talk for hours. We'd love to have you come back on, and we've got a bunch of other stuff we'd, we'd like to cover with you. Um, I know there's a lot always going on. Well, it's nice for us to hear what's going on through your questions elsewhere. Because listen, I grew up in Detroit, and a lot of things that happened here in Hollywood didn't care. And you know, it's nice to know that keep it in perspective. I think uh, we we enjoy that the perspective from we, we try to talking to some Broadway people in New York so to find out what's going on there. And like Matt said, with all this, with the technology, it brings us all closer together. Use it for a good thing. Yeah, I think so too. Well, this has been great, Diane. Th- thanks again so much for your time. We'll talk again soon. Now. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, thank you again to our guest, author, journalist, and educator, Diane Haifman. Keep up with Diane and all her writing at dianehafman.com, therap.com, and on Twitter at at D. Haithman, all linked in the show notes. Join us next week when we'll welcome biographer of the star Scott Iman back to the show to discuss his new book, 20th Century Fox, Daryl F. Zanuck, and the creation of the modern film studio. And if you enjoy the podcast, please make sure to follow us and share the show with a friend. Tell them to visit HeilmanandHaver.com, also linked in the show notes, and tune in on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Keep up with all the latest on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and check out special segments like In the Mix and Get to Know a Theater on our YouTube channel. As always, thank you for supporting local theater wherever you are and for joining us on Heilman & Haver.